0: Amen, how awesome is it to gather as God's church and worship the resurrected King like that? Welcome to all of you guys here. I know there was an incredible worship service over in the venue and the chapel over at Cactus as well. I'm just excited to be with you guys here this morning as a gathered church. It's so fun when God's children gather together and worship him. I know it brings joy to his heart as hopefully it does to ours. Uh, My name is Kevin Yule. I'm the pastor of men's and marriage ministry here. And so I've got a real quick announcement for all of you. Men, if you're a man in this room, uh, we're starting a brand new ministry this Tuesday night, starting at 6.30, goes till 8 o'clock. Would love to have all of you guys come join us. This is something that we have not done here before in in this this way. Uh, Somewhere between the age of five, when I was walking through the halls of a grocery store asking for directions, and my grandfather grabbed me by the hand and said, Kevin, we don't ask for directions. That's a sign of weakness. (laughs) Oh, all right, Grandpa. And watching my dad try and build projects while taking the instructions and throwing them away and just willing his way to make it happen, uh, I learned that as a man, you just, you isolate, you do things on your own, you become very independent. You figure things out on your own and by will and hard work, you'll figure it out. Uh, And somewhere Satan used that to convince me that uh, that's how I should live my spiritual life as well. I'm on this island by myself, and if I'm to grow in my relationship with the Lord, then this is a me thing only. And somewhere along the way, we have robbed ourselves of the greatest gift maybe God has given us, and that is the body of Christ and one another. And so if you're a man in here and you want to begin to experience brotherhood, relationship, fellowship, don't be scared off by the relationship word, but fellowship with one another. And just pray for, encourage each other, find men to come alongside you and embrace you and walk through life with you. I'd encourage you, come join us on Tuesday nights. It starts at 6.30. This is our first week, so you will not be new. Uh, we'll all be in it together. Come join us this Tuesday night at 6.30. We'd love to have all of you. That's it for that. I don't know if we'll get another chance to announce it. So there it was. Uh, we're kicking off, or actually we're wrapping up, uh, the two-week series on Little Lies. And Rustin and I got together a long time ago and said, what do you want to talk about? What do you want to... Deal with, And so we began to think and talk and wrestle with things. And we said, man, here's where I feel like we really need to go. Somewhere along the way, our theology gets messed up. And if, if, if Satan can convince us that God is not who he really is, or we are not who we really are in, the, in light of who God is, then he wins. And there's victory over our lives. And so last week, Rustin did an incredible job of refuting this lie of God is distant. God seems far off. I feel like I'm all alone. That's a bad theology. This week, we're going to look at three lies, three lies that I feel like not only jade our view of who God is, but ultimately, in in some sense, jade how we view ourselves in light of who God is. And so the three lies are this. I'll give them to you up front. For those of you blank filler outers, you'll get them real quick. Okay, the first one is this. I am defined by my failure. Or I'm defined by my failure or my sin or my past. And what I've done in the past or what I'm currently doing now in my failed state defines who I am. And all of a sudden we begin to buy that lie and Satan whispers in our ear, Kevin, you did it again. You did it again. You did it again. Therefore, you are that. And we begin to define ourselves by that failure. Then it becomes very easy to buy the second lie. Because I am a failure, because as as I view myself, I feel like a failure, it gets very easy to buy the second lie, which says this, because I'm a failure, I'm unworthy of love or acceptance. I'm a failure, therefore no one could love me, no one could accept me, we begin to follow that and buy into that, and that begins to penetrate our hearts, and all of a sudden it begins to dictate and change how we respond to the world around us. This is why some of us are really good at putting on a good face, a good mask. We present really well, but inside we fear rejection. We fear what other people perceive about us. And we spend our lives trying to please everybody else, all the while we're just exhausted inside because we feel like we're unlovable. The third, that third lie that comes on the heels of that if you believe you're a failure and you believe that there is no value or love that you can experience, it becomes very easy to buy the lie because of that, there's no purpose for my life. I'm a failure. No one could love me, so what's my purpose in life? Why am I even here? And let me tell you guys, honestly, as I've dug down that rabbit hole for far too long, it goes nowhere good. There's nothing but dark, terrifying thoughts at the end of that process of what's my purpose in life? Do I have a purpose? Is there any hope for me? So I'm not up here today going, here's the five Ps of experiencing, but I'm not an expert in this, okay? This is a reality for me. In fact, this morning may be more therapeutic for my soul than it blesses any of you, uh, but this is where we're at. I'll give you an example of how the depths of my depravity goes in this area of buying these lies because Satan whispers these lies to me over and over and over again. Uh, About a year ago, in fact, it was Labor Day weekend last year. I had a chance to preach. I was so excited. It was my first opportunity to preach an entire weekend up here. Jamie said, we'd love to have you do it. Uh, And so I preached on 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Got through the weekend, went and spent some time up in Flagstaff with my family. Came back down. I'm in my office Tuesday morning. And I hear some footsteps coming down the hall. And I mean, you guys remember in junior high when your teacher's passing out the graded test and there's a part of you that wants to get it, so you know how you did, but there's another part of you that's terrified to see what's on the other side of that sheet of paper. That's when my heart immediately went. Here comes Jamie down the hall. And he comes in and he sits down at my desk and he says, I'd like to talk to you about your message this weekend. Oh, oh boy, here it comes, right? My heart's just racing. He begins to go off for three to four minutes on just a continual tirade of encouragement to me as a communicator of God's word. Your pace was good. Your illustrations were great. You handled the word of God well. I feel like you delivered this point well. Just nothing but encouragement. All the while I'm sitting there going, okay, but when's the butt gonna come? You know, when's that hammer gonna fall? The only butt I got was when he stood up, shook my hand and said, we see a lot of promise in here. And I watched his butt walk out the door. Okay, that's the only butt I got. He just encouraged me, lifted me up. Now, here's here's where that depravity comes in, the depths of my soul. I went home that night, sit down, I talked to my wife, and she says, how'd it go with Jamie today? I know he talked to you. And I began to repeat to her everything that Jamie said, word for word. And I remember her grabbing me by the hand and saying, isn't it so nice to finally have a boss that encourages you? And I began to well up with tears in my eyes and I looked at her and I said, Brooke, here's what you need to know about me. The only thing I heard in that meeting were his expectations going up (laughs) and me realizing all I was gonna do is fail this man. And I spent all day wondering how I was gonna come home and tell you guys someday that I lost my job because I can't live up to the expectations of other people because deep down in the core of my being, I feel like a failure. And I feel like it doesn't matter how well I do, it doesn't matter how much my boss praises me, eventually everyone's gonna realize I'm a fraud, I'm a phony, I'm a failure. And therefore I have, no one could love me, and therefore I have no purpose. And so that's where my soul tends to go. That's where my mind tends to wander. Satan gets in my ear and takes praise from my boss and convinces me that that's bad news. Because I'm, I'm buying the lies of the world. So I don't know where you guys are at in this room. If any of these lies resonate with you, or if any of these lies have fed into your soul at all, today we're gonna to look at one chapter of the Bible. It's Romans chapter eight. And we're gonna start with one verse that for me has become a life raft of hope that I've grabbed onto with everything that I have over and over and over again. I repeat this to myself almost every day. Romans eight thirty one. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? So when that lie comes into my ear, Kevin, you are a failure. No, what shall I say to these things? God is for me, who could be against me? Kevin, no one would love you because you're a failure. No, what shall I say to these things? God is for me, who could be against me? Because I have God that's for me, I have great purpose in my life. But what shall we say to these things? It's interesting, I kind of always blew past the these things part and just went to the God's for me because that's the encouraging part. What are these things? What are these things that Paul talks about? Well, We're gonna look at it from the book of Romans as he refutes, I think, really these three lies that the world tends to feed us. Let me pray for us, and then we'll dive into our time in the word this morning. Father, thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the blessing that it is. God, I thank you for the constant encouragement it's been to my soul. God, I thank you for those dark days when I'm, I'm struggling and I'm fighting the lies of the world that you've just encouraged me through the pages of your scripture. God, I pray this morning that we would handle it well. I pray that your word would speak louder than anything else, that you would penetrate the hearts of of men and women in this room, online, the other campuses. God, in a way that only you can, that only you could get the credit and glory for. God, we'll thank you in advance for what you're gonna say to us this morning. We love you and we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. So what do we do with this first lie of you are defined by your failure, your past, your sin? This one becomes very easy for me. I don't know about you guys, but there are habitual sins, things in my life that I just keep running back to over and over and over again. And I hate it in my soul. i very much like Paul, oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death. I feel that day in and day out. God, why do I keep running back to this? Why am I constantly worried? Why does anxiety continue to fill my soul? Why can't I trust you? And so I begin to define myself by my failure. my sin and so man it becomes to eat away at me and it begins to eat away at me and then I come to a passage like this in Romans chapter 8 verse 1 it says this there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus this is a familiar verse to a lot of you you've heard this before but my question is does it make sense here or are you living it out here Because one thing to know truth, it's another thing to allow truth to penetrate your soul and to understand it and to allow that to come into your heart. So here's what I repeat to myself over and over and over again. When the the enemy speaks lies into my life and looks down at me and goes, Kevin, you did it again. And Satan would love to put his thumb of oppression upon me and have me wallow in guilt and shame. And trust me, guys, I've been there a lot. Where I just sit there and go, God, I did it again. I'm unworthy of your love. I'm unworthy of your grace. And let me just wallow in my guilt here for a little bit. Guys, essentially what I'm doing in that moment is looking at the cross of Jesus Christ and saying, God, that wasn't enough. I need to feel guilty about this a little bit more. I need to wallow in shame and guilt for a while because your son's sacrifice wasn't enough for my sin. Oh, the arrogance of me. Maybe some of you guys are there. Maybe this is a verse that some of you need to grab onto with both arms because Satan gets in your ear and convinces you, you are defined by your failure. And maybe for you, the greatest thing you could hear is no, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Two huge, two-letter words in this verse. The first one is no. That means zero, zero condemnation. I don't kneel before the Father. He doesn't look down at me and go, oh, there's Kevin the worrier. There's Kevin the proud. Look at Kevin the lustful today. He doesn't look at me in that way. There is no condemnation because I am, second big word, in Christ Jesus. Here's what that means. You wanna know what it means to be in Christ Jesus? It means there was a period of time in my life, and maybe some of you experienced this as well, that you have admitted, you have recognized, God, I am not perfect. I I can't fix some of this stuff on my own. I need your son, Jesus Christ, to forgive me of my failures, of my sin. And I'm placing my faith and trust in your son, Jesus Christ. I believe he was your son. I believe he was God on earth, that he died for my sins, that he rose from the grave, and he is now seated at your right hand. God, I believe that to be true, and I'm placing my faith in Jesus Christ. The moment that happens for me, I am no longer condemned. I go from condemned to innocent in a moment because of what Jesus Christ did. Not because of what I did, but because of who Christ is. Now here's the important thing, and here's the other side of this coin. It's great to be on this side of the cross and go, man, I am not condemned. I I don't have to bear the weight of all my past sin, my present sin, my future sin, like I don't have to, that doesn't weigh heavy on me. But what does this imply? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What's the implication here? There's absolute condemnation for those who are outside of the family of God. For those that don't know Christ, Ephesians 2 would say they are without God and without hope in this world. Does our heart break for that world? Does our heart break for that world? Let me hop on a soapbox here just for a second. There is a world driving by right now here on Shea. Cactus are driving by your church as well. You'll come face-to-face with them tomorrow morning at work. You'll interact with them at your kid's school. They're on your son's baseball team. Uh, They'll be at the gym tomorrow. Everywhere you go, you are confronted with a world that does not know Jesus Christ. They're without hope, without God in this world, and they are absolutely condemned in their fallen state. Here's my question for myself and for you as well. Do we care? Do we care enough? to present the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, let me go this far. Do we care more about their eternal state and helping them find Jesus Christ than we do about their moral state? You see, somewhere along the way, I think Satan has gotten in the ear of far too many of us Christians and convinced us that we need to fight for morality and never mention the name of Jesus, and we never present the gospel. Instead, we love to go around and point out everyone's faults and where they're falling short of God's moral code. Guess what? They don't know Christ. They don't have the Holy Spirit in them. They can't live up to our set of moral guidelines or understanding. What would it look like if we as a church began to fight for the gospel more than we fought for morality? Let me throw this one out there. Until we care more about someone's eternal destination than their sexual orientation, Satan is gonna win day in and day out because we're fighting the wrong battle. What might it look like for Scottsdale Bible Church this year to rally and say, you know what? We're gonna fight for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Come all you broken, come all you hurting, come wherever you're at. I don't care who you are, where you're at. We're gonna present the gospel of Jesus Christ and the grace that comes through him alone. And that's all we're gonna expect. Neil, Jamie, myself, Rick, Rustin, Ray, we would love to have somebody sit in our office stick their finger in our face, and say, I'm so sick of you Christians. All you talk about is the love of Jesus Christ. You're all about grace. You just keep telling me about Jesus, and I'm tired of feeling loved by you guys. I would love it if that was the case. Oh, I would hug that man and go, I'm so sorry. I apologize for all my Christian brothers and sisters out there. That's just not the case, guys. You know that. We're fighting the wrong battle. Let's start fighting for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And let's go out there and impact our world with that gospel because guess what? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. They need Jesus more than they need us to tell them where they're right or where they're wrong. All right, I'll kick my soapbox out of here. We'll move on. Here we go. What's the second one? Okay, I'm not condemned. I'm no longer condemned. I'm no longer defined by my past. There's freedom in Christ. Freedom that leads to this. Look at Romans eight fifteen through 17. I'll read it over here for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. We don't need to fall into fear. Take yourself back when you were a little kid. You remember those times where you were in trouble? You broke something, you broke the neighbor's window, you got caught stealing a cookie, whatever it was, and dad came home and there's a part of you that's like tail between your legs, you know you're gonna, you're getting in trouble and you're afraid. Why are you afraid? Because you're guilty. Paul just told us, look, you're no longer guilty. You're free in Christ. You're no longer a slave to fear. We don't have to slip back into fear. That means we can run to our father any moment. And he would go on to say this, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry out, Abba, Daddy, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs or fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. You are a beloved child of God. You're not defined by your sinfulness. You are adopted into the family of the Lord. The ruler and sustainer and creator of all things is your father and he loves you and he's excited to see you. When was the last time you spent time with that father? When was the last time we allowed ourselves to look at us in that light? God, I am not a condemned, broken sinner, but I am a redeemed child of yours, and you love me. Something very interesting happens around our house about 5.30. I've got six kids. My older four, they're kind of over this. My other two, man, they're right in the sweet spot. I unlock that door. My little six-year-old son comes flying from around the corner. Sometimes he's got socks on on the wood floors and he just wipes out. But when he does not man, he comes flying around the corner as fast as he can. And from about four feet away, he just leaps. Daddy's home. And I catch him and go, oh, you're home. It's so good to see you. My little two and a half year old comes flying around the corner right behind him, her little feet running. And she's right at a real critical height. Some of you dads know. And so she comes flying in head first. It's like, hey, all right, good. Good to see you, sweetie. Daddy, you're home. Daddy, let me tell you about my day. Daddy, how was your day? Daddy, daddy. And they just love on me and they're excited to see me. When was the last time you ran to your father that way? When was the last time you embraced your heavenly father that way and you just ran into his arms and said, Dad, would you tell me again how much you love me? Would you remind me again who I am to you? Would you give me time in your word today? And God, don't let me read it through the lens of of personal conviction and feeling shame or guilt, but God, let me read this as a love letter to me and let me begin to see how much you love me and care about me as your son or your daughter. When was the last time we spent time with dad that way and just said, dad, would you just encourage me today? Because I've been listening to the world for a little too long and I'm feeling a little insecure. I'm feeling a little broken. Would you just encourage me? You see, I think our father longs for those moments. Rustin did a great job spelling that out last week, right? You remember what his, his takeaway statement was? The greatest part about being with dad is being with dad. Is spending time with the father. Are we allowing that to be a part of our lives? Don't hear me on this. If this turns into like, a, I'm going to read my Bible for five minutes a day. Like if that's all this turns into, you've missed it. That's not what I'm asking for. I'm asking for you to run, embrace your heavenly father, and just live in his presence and say, dad, would you remind me who I am to you? Would you remind me who you are to me? And maybe that would begin to well up in us a sense of encouragement and build our souls up. You are absolutely worthy of love because you're a child of God. You are accepted by the God of the universe. You know what that tends to do for me? I'll be honest with you guys. I'm sitting over here next to Neil, trying not to laugh at his jokes before I come up here and there's a part of me that goes, I so desperately want you people to like me, to feel loved, to feel accepted by you. But you know what the greatest truth of all that I've begun to realize over the last five, six years of my life, I love you guys, but not one of you is gonna sit on the throne of judgment when I kneel before the father one day. You're just not. Jamie's not gonna be there. My other bosses aren't gonna be there. My wife, my kids aren't gonna be there. You know who's gonna be there? My heavenly father. The one that looks at me and goes, Kevin, you are not condemned. You are my beloved child. Come enter my rest. Are we living in light of that? And do we love that part of our father? The fact that he, guys, we win in the end because of what Christ did on the cross. So we can experience that love and that grace. You are loved and accepted by Jesus Christ. Here's the last one. Because you are not condemned, because you are a child of the Lord, the sovereign ruler and sustainer of all things, God has got an incredible purpose for your life, a good purpose for your life. Here's what Romans 8, 27 through 30 says, and he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Mine says the will of God. Hopefully yours does too. It doesn't say the will of Kevin Yule. It doesn't say the will of your name there. It's the will of God. Let's not read into this next verse some sort of prosperity gospel of saying, it's all about your will and God's gonna give you nothing but good things. Go live. No, this is God's will. It's the will of God. But his will is good. Why? Because he's a good father. And let's go back to Romans 8, 31. What shall we say to these things? Don't forget, God is for you. Who could be against you? Do you trust his will? Do you trust his plan for your life? He has got an incredibly good plan for your life. Look at verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, again, I'm going to say those are the ones that are in Christ. All things work together for good. For those who are called according to, here it is again, his purpose. It's not mine, it's his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, we can go off on foreknowledge another time. He also predestined, to be conformed to the image of his son, or that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and whom, those whom he predestined, past tense, he also called, past tense, those he called he also justified, again, past tense, you know, are condemned, you are justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. God has got an incredible plan for your life. Incredible plan for your life. It's a good plan, but it's not a plan that may be according to your will. Some of you are going through difficult things in life. I get that. Your cancer, it may not go away. That broken relationship with your spouse, that that may not go the way you want it to go. It's not your will, it's his will. The question is, do you trust him? Do you trust your father? Let me give you this illustration. Maybe this will help make sense. Uh, I went to the beach this summer. Anybody else go to the beach? I think I was the only one to go to San Diego this summer, right? No, half of you guys were over there. We could have held SBC San Diego half the summer and had more people there than here. Uh, But it was... was San Diego, we're we're on the beach and we're beaching it hard, man. We're hitting the waves and we're catching sand crabs and building sand castles and it was awesome. Uh, Just to the left of me is a young dad with about a three and a half to four year old little girl and they're splashing in the waves and it's kind of up to the little girl's ankles and she's like running from the waves back and forth and they're having a good time. About a half hour goes by and the father does something interesting. He grabs this little girl by the hand, begins to walk her out into the water. So the water comes up to about right here on this little girl and she's laughing and she's splashing water on dad and it's cold and he's having a great time with her and then all of a sudden something happens. This little girl looks out and sees a wave coming right at her and her little three and a half, four year old mind, unable to do math, she knows calculations well enough to know that wave's gonna go right over the top of my head. I'm about to be underwater and she begins to panic. And she starts to flail her arms around looking for something to grab onto. And she starts to cry out, Daddy, help me! Daddy, Daddy, help me! The wave gets closer and closer, and she just begins to scream at the top of her lungs, Daddy, save me! And just before that wave gets to this little girl, these two giant arms reach down, grab her, throw her up in the air, and plop her back down where the water's calm after the wave. And she hits the water, and she's just, What just happened? What just happened? And as she's trying to gather herself, guess what happens at the ocean? This isn't big surf, this is the real ocean. Another wave starts coming. Well, here it comes. And she's panicking again. No, no, not again. (laughs) Right before that wave gets to her two giant arms, reach down, grab her, pick her up. Let that wave pass, plop her back down. I watch this same scenario play itself out about wave six, seven. And then something interesting happens about wave eight to wave nine. This girl's looking. She doesn't take her eye off the wave because she's fixated. She's terrified by what's about to to hit her. But instead of flailing, (sighs) she just stands there. And with little tears coming down her face in terror and fear, she does something interesting. As that wave gets closer, she just does this. She just (laughs) picks her arms up. And those two giant arms come down and grab that little girl and throw her up in the air. And the wave passes and down she goes. And about wave 12 to wave This poor guy was about wave 50. (laughs) This little girl just, do it again, daddy, do it again. Daddy, can we do it again? Dad, let's do that again. That was so fun. Let's do it again. Guys, what changed in that little girl from wave one to wave 12 to 50? You know what changed? Her trust in her father. You see, all of a sudden she realized, doesn't matter what this ocean throws at me, I've got a really strong dad right behind me that is for me that is not gonna let me get hurt by these waves. Doesn't mean the wave stopped. Doesn't mean that life doesn't keep coming. It just means that we've got an all-powerful father right behind us. Do we trust him? Do we trust him? Do we know dad well enough that when life's coming at us and all we wanna do is go, oh, God, God, please help me. Maybe we lift our arms and just say, God, this is scary, I'm terrified. I don't know what to do with this, but I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna trust that you've got a good purpose, a good plan for this. Even if it doesn't go my way, I'm still gonna trust you. Because guys, some of those things, financially, it may not get better for you. Relationally, it may always be difficult. And if there's another promise we could look at, this one may not be as encouraging as this. You can always expect trials and tribulations this side of heaven. Some of that helps grow our faith. So it's just a reality of the broken world that we live in. There's going to be life coming at you. There's always another wave coming. That's not going to change. What changes is how you respond to it. Do you trust your father? Do you know him well enough to trust him? So when Satan gets in your ear, when the enemy begins to whisper to you, you get some bad news. There's no purpose. There's no plan. This is just chaos in this world. And that fear begins to well up in your soul and you begin to wonder, oh God, what are you doing? Do you trust him? And I'm not asking you to do this. That would look weird. Don't walk around like this all day. But maybe it would look something like, God, I surrender this over to you. I've been fighting something for a long time that I can't deal with in my, myself. It's overwhelming to me. It is a wave that will far exceed my height and I'm stressed and terrified about it. And so this morning, I just wanna cast it at your feet. Maybe that's the promise you hold on to is that God has a good purpose and plan for your life. May not go according to your will. It doesn't say your will in here, it's God's will. But God is for you. Who could be against you? What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? Do we believe that? Here's been my hope and prayer for a long time for for a lot of us in here. Maybe you're like me. Maybe you wrestle the lies the world feeds you all the time, and you are incredibly insecure. You worry so much about failing all the time. That's your core terror. I'm afraid to fail. Sometimes it prevents you from trying. You don't even move. Sometimes it impacts how you respond to the world around you. I don't know about you, but when I get insecure, I'm not a great father. I'm not the best husband. I'm not the best pastor. I'm very. When I get insecure, I react differently to the world around me. And so for me, like I said, this chapter, I'd encourage you, go back, read all Romans chapter 8. Some of these verses have become a life raft for me to hold on to, because when Satan gets in my ear, I remind him, no, what shall I say to these things? God is for me. Who could be against me? These have no hold on me, because I'm an uncondemned, beloved child of the living God, who's got a purpose and plan for my life, and he is a good father that I can trust. Do we know that here, Can we know that here and begin to live this out? Man, my hope and prayer would be that that would happen. I'm gonna invite the campus pastors to come forward here in just a second. I'm gonna pray for us. They're gonna close out with the last few verses of Romans chapter eight that my hope would be are just more encouragement to our soul as we wrestle with some of these things. But let me pray for us and then I'll invite them to come forward. Father, we thank you for who you are. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the promises. I thank you for the hope of Jesus Christ. God, you know, my my prayer has been, will continue to be that you would have my heart break for the world that needs to know Jesus, that you would give me eyes like your son to see the hope that I have that I can share with others. And God, I pray for myself. I pray for those moments, and you know how often they come when the enemy gets in my ear and convinces me otherwise, God, that I would run to your truth, that I would cling to your word, that it would speak to me louder than anything else. God, that I would not give Satan the opportunity to speak over my life anything that's not from your mouth. God, I pray the same for these people, that we would cling to your promises, we'd cling to your word, that we would not give the enemy a voice into our life, but we'd listen to your voice and your voice only. God, give us a great time in your word this week. I pray they would impact our lives, they would impact our hearts, that you would speak to us. I pray even now as we look at the last few verses that this would just encourage our hearts and our souls. God, we love you and we thank you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Thank you, Kevin. Now, I've been a, a pastor for uh, 30 years this past June, and one of the, uh, the heartbreaks I have as a pastor is not being able to be there When people go through hard times, just because needs are just so immense. We have an entire team of over 100 staff here, and we can't meet all the needs of all the people all the time. But I'll tell you this, in response to what Kevin was saying today, our goal with every program we have here, uh, every book that Jamie has written, one, um, is not (laughs) to become popular or amazing or think, but to simply help you get to know Christ in such a way that you realize though people will let you down... Churches will let you down. God is enough and he will never let you down. And we close with these words from Romans chapter 8, 37, the last couple of verses in this passage that Kevin was teaching from. We read, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. May those words bless you as you leave today. Go be the church and be blessed. Thanks for coming today.